welcome to The Run-In. It is a walk special today. So we're going to be chatting all about the results, uh, both the Brits and internationally, all about the maps and the arena. So get, you know, get a look on the GPS tracking on the maps from um, orienteering.sport if you want to have a look at those alongside our discussion. But we are going to start today with our interview. And uh, we've been chatting to one of the Brits who was on the team at the World Championships. We've been chatting to Hector Haynes. Hector, welcome to the podcast. Firstly, how's it going? How, how have you recovered from last week? Yeah, you know, it's not been too difficult to recover. Obviously, the long race was a fairly long race in tough terrain. Um, but having said that, I've had a good few days now um, as reserve for the relay. I didn't actually race, but uh, of course I was prepared for that. And so I was kind of rested for Saturday already. Um, and now it's, yeah, Hello. just a few days after that, feeling good. So in this in this interview, we're going to try and outline cool. it a bit. We're going to try and get your insight into walk preparations, the build-up and everything there, just to give everyone a real insight into what the kind of look and feel of a world championships really is. So <laughs> I'll take you back to... The major point of the British season at the JK, where we had our first round of selections, and I guess the the first round of pre walk selections, you were you missed out on the initial selection for World Cup at that stage, which you eventually ran. Um, at that stage, kind of what were your feelings of of if you were going to make the team or 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 not? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, I was always counting on being in the team and world champs this year in Norway has been my goal for the last three years, ever since uh, 2016 mm-hmm. world champs in Strömstad where I felt, you know, three years on, I could, I could do a similar job and perhaps even improve. Hmm. Um, you're so a, yeah, you're a Scandinavian that, that was, native. That, yeah, exactly. It's always been a goal. And um, so, and I just thought like I, I could, in, in the plan that I made, you know, one one or two years ago now, um, looking at the build-up to this World Championships, I just thought, okay, when it was decided that we would have selection races in Norway in relevant terrain six weeks before the championships, I decided, you know, I don't need to be at the JK. And mm-hmm. with the World Cup, of course, JK was a critical uh, selection race for that World Cup in Finland. And I was counting on the World Cup, in fact, being there um, to get some points to boost my ranking so that I got a good start position at World Champs. And yeah, not getting the selection was a miscalculation on my part, for sure. Um, so yeah, I guess the JK was more critical than I anticipated. Mm. And not being there did detrimentally affect my selection, um, which ultimately... I was lucky enough to still race because there was a couple of dropouts, uh, last minute people dropping out of that World, World Cup. So, yeah, it all went my way in the end, in the, yeah. with with a bit of luck there, and then getting some good points, world world ranking and World Cup points, going into the World Champs. Because mm. we move forward to World Cup, but like you say, there was a couple of dropouts, and it's very funny how these things kind of work out, as you say. It, it it was a it was a tactical choice not to go to the JK and obviously travel back over from Stockholm to um, to Britain because it was the week before T Miller as well, which is obviously living in Scandinavia and running for a Scandinavian club is a massive goal for yourself and and performing there because that's the the focal point of their season. 
um, domestically. So then you got to race at the World Cup and you were the second best Brit in the middle distance. I think that's right in saying. And then second best in the chasing long as well. So clearly proved that you deserved the spot and, and you deserved your place. And kind of did that get your mind kind of back on track for, for the test races just a few weeks after that? Yeah, indeed, exactly. You know, there were six um, men and six women, uh, or did we take five women? Anyway, six men at least we took to that World Cup. And so, yeah, I was second, uh, both in the middle and in the long, and that gave me good confirmation, you know, of my shape and my ability and that things, despite having not been perfect over the winter, were still going in the right direction. And yeah. A, a big positive ahead of the world championship and the and the selection races yeah which is something that we don't normally do i guess is have those selection races so close to a championship in the in the country they're going to be in we did it in 2017 for estonia but they were you know, quite far away from the actual championships i think they're about maybe eight weeks instead of the, the six that they were five or six they were this time so that i guess could give you that longer lead time from the winter to really build your form more gradually yeah, that's right. I mean, I've always been very good at peaking for a, a, a championship and a major championship. So with the world champs being my main aim, I uh, really, yeah, managed to get my training right, put everything in place. I know how my body responds to the different types of training and this sort of thing. And so I can usually peak quite well physically, at least. And I've done the hard work. And so, yeah, it kind of all came together in these last two months. Um, and I was in really good shape for both test races and world champs themselves. Yeah. So then at test races, um, long race was first up on the Friday night. That was that was your main aim, I think. Is that right? Instead of the middle? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So going into that. Second, you, you came out as a second Brit, pretty much guaranteed your, your selection. You and Gigi, I think, only had about 40 or 50 seconds between you in that race. So I think it was hard to pick anyone else but you two. So how, how did your mind set kind of change there um, from, you know, you, you'd, you'd built up kind of not being in the team at JK to in the team and being second best Brit in the World Cups to then right I'm I'm just four seconds down on on the best on on being the best Brit in this long distance. I'm going into the World Champs with a real shot of a of a good result. Yeah, it was such a huge relief to have that good race in the in, when it mattered in the test races. Mm. Um, I suffered a lot this year from you know self belief or lack of self belief, and so that was that was good and a nice confirmation that yeah I was I was able to race well and compete well and yeah I had a good chance still at the championship themselves so mentally it was it was such a huge relief and uh, I think partly that played into <laughs> my performance the next day you know I, I was really not very focused and I, I didn't do the right sort of things you know preparation in the in the hours and the minutes beforehand before picking up the map and I really struggled basically to get into the map, made a big mistake, and and that was the race. Uh, despite having still good speed in my legs, yeah, that was yes. Yeah, so I think we have pretty similar experiences in that middle race for for different reasons of of the relief for you and the the extra pressure for me. So, 
I know, I know exactly how you felt on that one. And then um, you've got the selection. You're there. You're you're in the team. That f- you you've got a month to go to to the race itself. Can you talk us through kind of your plan then? That that last month, how do you, or, or do you even change your training, or was it all laid out as if you you know, you'd laid it out as if you were going to be selected already, or or were you then right? This is now what I've got to do to get myself to world champ shape from test race shape. No, you know I'd, I'd always laid it out um, as if I was gonna compete at world champs, mm-hmm. and even the last three years, you know, I've been focusing on that as being something that I'm going to do. So yeah, I'd planned it. Um, I'd planned some small like time off after the test races, just kind of like a week of just kind of decompressing and allowing, allowing things to be a bit more flexible while still maintaining a good high level of intensity within my training. Then I took 10 days in, um, or well, it was actually two weeks. I went, I went home for a week and did a really good block of training in back in the UK, in Yorkshire mm-hmm. and in uh, Wales actually. And then I was out in Italy for another week and a bit oh, nice. in the mountains in the North of Italy, just, uh, yeah, basically clearing my head, getting ready to run uh, world champs and, spending long days in the mountains and uh, I did one kind of crazy little race that was just a bit of fun really uh, in and amongst that and um, that was the way I just came off the came off that kind of training camp and then the the week in Italy altitude and this sort of thing and I was just absolutely buzzing and ready really ready to go into world champs and then it was kind of two weeks to world champs and put in the final training in the forest in Stockholm in relevant terrain, which was always a plan, and then went early to World Champs and was at World Champs uh, in in the in place like five days before my race. Mm. We've um, talked a lot on the podcast, Hector, about um, training in relevant terrain, especially for this um, World Championships. How much of that were you able to do, or or and also did you want to do? Yeah, for me, it's very important that I train a lot in relevant terrain. I always get a lot of confidence from when I've when I've got the hours behind me mm-hmm. and uh, multiple training camps and this sort of thing. So, yeah, for me, it's important. And usually, I try for each major championships to do, you know, at least say three to four weeks of training camps uh, in total in the run-up mm-hmm. to the uh, any given race, championship race. And I've done that ever since walk-in 2015 or 2014, in fact. I remember doing a similar amount. So really, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, those three years I was, I was tr- doing loads of training, relevant training, and flying, mm-hmm. you know, traveling a lot, going going around uh different training areas really understanding and getting a grip of what i what i was having to do because my technique has always been the thing that i feel is a little bit let me down and under the high pressure mm-hmm. and so i've always you know with experience i've found that doing a high level of kind of confidence building relevant terrain training has been really beneficial anyway what i want to say is like it's it's really good to do that but 
I've found that it's such a high stress, especially when world championships come year after year mm. and to fit everything in, but also to have like, you know, uh, a life outside of orienteering and, and try and work and earn money and have, you know, social life and all the rest of it. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's very difficult to balance. So I took a year out in 2017. That was the, that was the decision in that year. And then I just focused on, okay, now I've got more time to add in more training camps for the races that I want to do well in, which mm. was basically this year. Um, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I've been doing training camps for the last like three years and, and those have all built up and this relevant terrain bank is built up and I've got a stack of maps, you know, uh, 50, 60 <laughs> trainings that I've run that I can, that I looked back over in the, in the week before my race and was like, yep, I've done, I've done the work, you know. Mm. And that's the really key thing. I think that's what we um, oh, was highlighted after the World Champs in Estonia of just how many trainings that I think it was Olaf Lundner said he did 70 hours of training in the forest in relevant terrain in Estonia to get prepared for that one single middle distance race. So it just shows you exactly as you said for three years before, it's almost like an Olympic cycle, I guess, for like track athletes or cyclists or or whoever, swimmers. And that they're preparing solely for that one thing in every training camp, every race, every session is geared towards that one eventuality of that half an hour, hour, you know, hour, 40 minutes of that one race. So I think that real precision is is key. And it's I mean, it's fascinating to hear just how you've done that as well with training camps in Wales and, and in Yorkshire as well, just to build up that massive base that you need for the long distance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, building the base and keeping a high level of endurance is key. Uh, I'm lucky that naturally I think my endurance level is quite high. So, and I know now after many years what to do and what, what kind of training that I benefit most of and, and what my body responds to best. Mm. So yeah, I just I basically go and do that. And, um, after, after just a short amount of time, you know, two, three weeks of really nailing the training, I'm starting to feel like, okay, this is, this is the, you know, this is the peak coming. Um, but you have to build off such a big base and that's what I've been doing for the last, you know, over the winter. And then in, even during the spring is just building this base of like training and then, and then racing and sort of taking each competition as like another level up and another level up to like refine the technique and refine the race tactics and just get into that mental zone and then suddenly you know by walk it's everything is in the right place and and you've practiced the routines almost to death you know and 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 then and then hopefully it all works on the day yeah i mean that's the dream isn't it because when it doesn't it god it sucks um but and going off a slight tangent there um would you say that going to sweden and moving out there has changed that psyche almost in how you build up and train for these and getting that insight from your club at um ifk lidinger and the coaches there and the athletes that you're training with on a day-to-day basis because there's obviously a lot of internationals there they, they go on pretty big training camps in the winter and um and did that kind of alter how you kind of thought about things or how you prepared in in terms of your training camps yeah for sure i mean there's loads of experience here in Sweden of course that you can draw on and coaches and other athletes and stuff you're constantly immersed in it basically so you can pick up ideas and try out new things and 
I think for me, the, the difference is, uh, the biggest difference is the amount of head-to-head training you can do, or even just training or racing with other elite athletes of a similar yeah. level, you know, every week or even two to three times a week. And that consistency in sort of the high level orienting and being head to head against someone, it really gives you that immediate feedback and like continual feedback that you need to stay on a high level and then to go from that high level to the top level. Um, And I think that's been one of the the biggest benefits, if you understand what I'm saying there. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So then getting back on on track with, um, with WOC, so you arrive there five days before your race. That five days leading in, how much did you do? Did you just fully shut down? Did you, obviously you probably got out into the terrain beforehand, but did you do any hard efforts or, or any, stuff, any stuff to wake the body up before the race? Yeah, it's definitely important to keep some intensity going into key race like world champs. It's It's kind of personal, but for me, I feel like Definitely just resting allows my body to sort of go to sleep a little bit. I've got to keep some intensity and some volume there. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, um, I planned like two key hard sessions. One was on the Friday before the Wednesday race and one was on the Sunday. And the one on Friday was some long interval training in uh, relevant terrain. And that was super tough, you know. <laughs> I'd like driven for six hours the day before from Stockholm to towards Oslo, you know, and I was I'd not slept that well that night. And then I'd woke up and I woke up and I was like, okay, key session time, you know, do a long, yeah. long warm up and like, okay, this is gonna hurt, this is gonna, hurt. and then just, yeah, it just was like suffering the whole way. But it was really key to to get that done and. Even though I didn't feel great physically, I got a good, like, smooth technique feeling by the end of the course. So that was like, okay, that was, that was a good session. Mm. Then on Saturday, that was an easier day, recovering from the day before and just allowing the body to just, okay, get 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 that kind of, like, fatigue out from the traveling. And then Sunday, again, like, another short, hard session of intervals or interring intervals of five by one kilometer in the forest. In, again in relevant terrain and uh, pushing pushing like almost pushing over speed on these mm-hmm. five by one kilometers mm-hmm. um, and that was that was enough to really challenge my technique because physically by this point I was kind of feeling good again and my legs were moving quite well and then I was challenging my technique and my technique was breaking down so I was like okay now I find the the balance and the master mm-hmm. speed and just in those two sessions, you know, I came to that balance of like, okay, this is the speed I can run and this is the effort level I can endure. And then it was like Monday, Tuesday, kind of just easy training, Wednesday, world champs. Okay, so we're at Wednesday. You wake up, breakfast, you head to quarantine. What's quarantine like uh, for people who haven't been there at, at a world championships? Yeah, so to describe a World Champs quarantine is quite unique, really, I guess. This year we were in a school, and it's kind of typical to be in a school, um, in like, you know, the school hall or spread between some classrooms. Um, We ended up 
making a little British camp in the middle of the <laughs> in the middle of the hall uh, that they'd opened up for us. And you know, you're just basically you go in there, you take your roll mat out, you lie down on your roll mat, do some stretching, get up, walk around, you know, talk talk with the people, <laughs> the teams lying next to you, or go into another room and chat with friends. It's really just such a relaxed well it's sort of relaxed but at the same time you can you know you can feel the tension you can feel like people are like a little bit on edge but they're mm. trying to relax very very strange kind of uh, situation to be in and people are doing you know people are reading people are doing crosswords of course no one's allowed phones um, and people are often playing games as well you know card games and this sort of thing to pass the time and then, of course, people are getting ready and people are getting physio treatments and strapping feet and, you know, meticulously pinning the numbers and this sort of <laughs> thing. So there's all of that as well. Um, so that, that's like the that's like the quarantine vibe. And then you go out of quarantine and you go onto the transport. And this year they had like these walk branded cars and you're sort of in this Ooh, transport with nice. other people that are starting in your start time. So then you're like, OK this guy, he's two minutes behind me or three minutes behind me. And you, you're kind of checking him out and seeing what he's doing. And then the guy just ahead of you, of course, is just sitting <clears throat> in front of you on the bus or whatever. Um, so you kind of see how he's looking or whatever. And then, of course, you get driven to quarantine two or pre-start. And once you get there, you're kind of in the forest. And then you get out and you're like, okay, this is where we're starting. And that kind of visualize, then, then you have to start visualizing like, you know, the old map or the auto-generated map in this case and what kind of shape the course would be if, if this, this is the start point. Um, mm. And that's, that's when it kind of becomes a bit more real. It's like, okay, now I'm at pre-start and uh, there's just, you know, a few tents and athletes doing their final warm-ups and then going off to the start. Like you said, it was um, an auto-generated map because uh, there wasn't actually a, a proper full map of the terrain for long beforehand, uh, before the competition. It was a new map, wasn't it? So... Had that changed how you'd geek the pre-start, the quarantine? Because often you can figure out where these places are going to be in relation to the old map. Yeah, well, in Bulletin 4, you know, the final details, basically, that they'd given, they'd given quite a lot of information and talked about, you know, of course, we knew where Quarantine 1 was, but they don't give the location of the pre-start, but they just give a driving time between Quarantine 1 <laughs> and the pre-start. Mm -hmm. And so they would, they would, you know, they told us like, oh, it's 35 minutes uh, between the two. Okay. Which is usually like means, okay, maybe it's like 30 minutes because they've added in a little bit of buffer time or whatever for traffic, et cetera. But what it turned out to be was that was a complete red herring in this year. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's actually just a 10 minute drive. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> 10 minute drive from the, from the quarantine one down towards the arena and then literally got out like, 300 meters before the arena and oh. there was a tent and we went into the tent and it was like okay arena start so <laughs> oh, wow yeah so i had uh, i'd sort of planned the uh for a little bit of an arena start because you know at world champs they always want to kind of trick you or like you know put you under pressure <laughs> in the long distance in particular they often like to put an arena start you know to add a bit more excitement just for the spectators because mm. it's you know, a long day basically mm. a long day. so yeah it had crossed my mind but at the same time i had this like oh, okay it's 35 minute driving time um so i did think I, I had also planned 
for the eventuality that yeah it was in some some other location on the edge of the map and it was a remote start um, but once once we got to the pre-start and it was like okay arena start i was like yeah this is great this is great for me i'd planned for this and actually i love arena starts and i was like okay this is this this is maybe unusual and something i didn't plan for that much but at the same time i was like this is definitely affecting my competitors more than it's affecting me so in that respect i just took it as a positive and did you you feel like you're feeding off that then that you could really revel in that slight increase in pressure that other people are feeling yeah i think so exactly like you've always got to turn these like things that you you might perceive as negative into a positive and so yeah i was just like okay i get the chance to really see the arena layout see mm. where the last control is see where the run through is i've got all this in my head it's like more information that i can use mm. and the crowd is going to be there when i pick up the map you know using all this information and this like anxiety is like energy to be like mm. okay now i can i can really start fast and go go with a good energy out of the out of the arena and i've, I've got time as well to read the map before the start point because there's a long run through the arena and this sort of thing so yeah it was all these things you know you kind of talk talk to yourself positively and make make it into a positive and so we've started the race we're in the terrain how was it how did you go um finish position was 20th back in the top 20 after um i see your time out in uh 2017 before that you were i think your best position was 15th in the middle was it if i'm if i'm correct i mean correct me if i'm wrong i was 10th in the middle in 2015 10th in the middle 10th 12th in the middle 2014 and then in 2015 in the long in scotland i was 17th and that's okay. my best long result. And I was nineteenth in twenty sixteen in the long. So just just a fraction shy of your your best long result then. Yeah, basically there or thereabouts with my with my yeah. best long results. Yeah, pretty consistent. Yeah. So. Um, Hector, we were talking because obviously I was commentating and having a look at the map. And what are the one of the things we were saying in commentary is that not only the start location being surprising but also the nature of the course being possibly quite surprising as it didn't feel to us very Norwegian there were a lot of opportunities to run around on the long route choice legs so when you picked up the map what was your reaction immediately to the course? Yeah picking up the map was of course kind of like a little surprising to see so much road running potential um but i didn't really let it affect me i just you know took each leg more or less by itself and was like okay number one looks like running out to the road is as good or slightly better route choice and so i took that one i was just mm -hmm. like make it easy uh run out to the road and then i could plan ahead and then I was like, okay, some short legs in the forest, just running straight and knew that, okay, th these are tricky, can't plan ahead here. So I must plan ahead on the long leg to four. And mm. already I'd seen, okay, this is going to be a critical choice. And then it was like, okay, running to number one, plan number four. And again, like the, the road choice jumped out of me and it kind of made me check and double check and triple check. Because mm -hmm. I was like, nah, you know, it can't, it can't, <laughs> can't be so much of the the road that is is the best. But in the end, I just had, I just came to the conclusion, like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's best. 
given the nature of the terrain and and the length of the of the leg and 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 where the where the road went and mm. i was like yeah just gotta take it and and hope it works out uh and it did yeah <laughs> which was yeah you know you come to the finish and you look at the course again and you're like wow that that's a little bit disappointing but there there was obviously a little bit of compromise i guess for the production of the tv and everything such that yeah i don't know uh ended up being the the way it was and the the course shape it was and in the end i still think the best people won so whether the course was good or not at least at least the best people won i mean we were having a lot of chat about um obviously the norwegian planners would they would they plan something quite norwegian to benefit you know their own athletes and maybe they felt that if they'd done something that basically the best option was straight every single time maybe then they'd get judged for being like make you know being too nice to their own athletes they kind of went out of their way to make something that was maybe opened up the field a bit more if you know what i mean i don't know that was that that was like my immediate reaction to to that yeah i mean it's it's a thankless job isn't it being a world champs planner you know you can never get it right someone's always going to complain and be like oh i would have done it better and this sort of thing but at the end of the day you know they they did a great job and i think the courses were fair and that was the main mm. thing and whether or not you know we should have run more in the forest and less on the road is that's that's a debate that you know could run and run yeah absolutely. Uh, literally <laughs> so uh yeah I, I, I don't have any hard feelings about it. it it maybe won't last so long in the memory as being you know a truly epic race or truly epic course something that you can think back to and say oh god you know remember that epic world champs in 2019 with all that you know incredible forest where we were just slogging through it for like an hour and a half and <laughs> all of the rest of it you know it was it was less of that and more of just okay and then after after running the course did you i mean our estimated winning time was initially like 98 minutes or something and then just before the tv production like they rounded it down to 94 i think and it ended up being 90 did you get the feeling that it was going to be much faster than they'd initially thought um I, ne- I i didn't get that feeling at all really uh until i kind of came towards the arena mm-hmm. and i hadn't i took my watch off actually because we had um been told like you know they were potentially going to crack down on the gps watch rule and this sort of thing and even though my gps watch is within the iof rules i just didn't want to risk it yeah. So I'd actually not run with my watch, which I usually do. And I'm usually like, you know, checking my watch just for time uh, to see how long I've been running and how much potentially is left. But um, yeah, I got a sense of it when I came through the arena and was like, okay, short loop. It don't feel like too bad and it doesn't feel like I've been going so long. So yeah. Uh, and then obviously at the finish, um, and, when, and when all the runners came in and when the medals had been decided, it was like, okay, yeah, that was that, that was a couple <laughs> and a half, maybe too short, which was a shame because I think, you know, the results would have been different in another kilometer and a half. But at the same time, like I said before, the, be- the best person still won. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think 
um, planners really find it difficult to do long distance, particularly to plan a long distance course because, I mean, partially because all their test runners are nowhere near the top guys. And, you know, they can say, we think this route choice is the better. And they've tested that with the pre-runners that they have available, but they simply don't have, you know, Olaf Lindenez and Daniel Hoodman to be able to go and see what is, you know, a realistic winning time. Yeah, exactly. There's always a margin of error. And then I think it's just so difficult to compute, like, you know, Olaf Lindenez, on a normal day and Olaf Lindenes on a walk day and Daniel Hubman on a walk day because there is that like sort of extra level that they can get out of themselves as well. And, you know, everyone else, every, pretty much everyone else can, can get that extra level as well. So how do you factor that into your equations? So, yeah, it's super difficult. And I think with the TV production being as it was, they really didn't want to overrun. So maybe they just compensated too much on the underside. Did you go and uh, be spectate on the next few days? Was that a, a weird experience, like watching and you know, um, as opposed to running the walk race? After such a long race, of course, I was tired, a little bit emotional, and, and this sort of thing. So, the the coming days, I was just really looking forward to just yeah, relaxing and like not having to worry or stress or prepare for a race too much. At the same time, there was always in the back of my mind like okay, I might be called up for the relay. Mm. Uh, the relay has happened, you know, reserves have been used in the relay before and in a number of years. So at the same time, I was like, okay, just keep doing the right things, do the process, get the recovery done. Um, don't stress myself too much with hard training now, even though I was kind of on a, on a bit of a high and kind of wanted mm. to do, you know, a bit of epic training <laughs> sort of thing in the days after. But no, and then I just went and watched the races and to, to be on the sidelines is kind of like, of course it's frustrating because you, you, you know, you're watching the GPS and you're listening to the arena and you're seeing the athletes come through and that, you know, you can feel the pain on their faces and they're struggling to the line and, and you're like, ah, oh, I, I, I want to experience that again because it's such an incredible feeling and, and to, be able to pick up a map and it have you know world champs uh, 2019 <laughs> on the map and and it's it is something special and to come to the finish and the whole setup and everything is just yeah it's just incredible and that's partly why you've got to love going to the world champs um despite it being in perhaps you know terrain or slightly compromised or whatever we've been discussing it's mm. it's still the world champs and you you still love to be there and for me i love competing and so yeah there is that kind of tension of like ah oh, i want some more you know yeah. <laughs> sure you almost never have enough <laughs> well there was an, a nice group of um spectators like a lot of the welsh juniors were out there um it's always nice to have a little group of people cheering you on yeah i mean the spectators are great and uh it kind of the weather wasn't so kind towards the end of the week but the spectators were still uh, still turning out so that was really cool to see and it was great that Mark and Alice and and the Welsh junior squad were there supporting we're always thankful in in the GB team of having anyone there supporting <laughs> because yeah um it it really does help and and gives us a boost and gives us those people to interact with you know we don't just feel like we're in an isolated bubble 
um, and this sort of thing. And yeah, it give, gives you extra energy when, when there's someone cheering for you and waving a British flag. Fab. And then have you, I mean, obviously you spent such a long time building up to this World Championships. Have you had a chance to, uh, you know, decide or, or reflect or even have some thoughts about what you might do next, what your aims are after this? Yeah, I've always decided like now that World Champs is splitting between Sprint and Forest and going to a two-year program that 2020, next year, um, is going to be like an off year for me in terms of orienteering. I'm going to take it like, take a sort of like a step back and perhaps not do quite so much uh, of the high level stuff and certainly probably won't be focusing on the sprint Mm. Um, that being said I'm gonna obviously try and keep my world ranking in a good position such that I can go into 2021 with a really good world ranking and then that obviously with the aim of performing at world champs again in 2021 I think I've decided that that's probably going to be a goal for me Um, and it's almost certainly same paper I'm going to start with a training camp this November and go mm-hmm. for a training camp in Czech Republic this November. So, and then that I'll plan like two, perhaps three training camps in Czech Republic next year. I'll do a couple of world cup races next year and I'll potentially go to European champs next year as well, run a couple mm-hmm. of races there. And then I'll, of course I'll run team Ilya Yukula and that'll be the orienteering. And then the rest of my year will be based around the sky running season and I'll do a lot of sky racing probably and try and get a full set of scores for the uh, World Series in Skyrim. Best of luck for uh, for next year. Sounds like a pretty packed calendar. Thanks, Will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, of course. Packed calendar. That's the way I like it. And hopefully I'll be seeing you guys around uh, as well. And of course, Will, being a teammate, we'll, uh, we'll definitely be getting some really good training going on together soon. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll be seeing you... Uh... A couple of those training camps, I think. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. No, well, thank you very much, Hector, for coming on. Really appreciate it. And yeah, congrats again on the, uh, the results at World Champs. So really great uh, stuff from Hector Haynes there and great to hear he's going to be targeting the next World Championships, the next Forest World Championships, <clears throat> I should say, in... Uh, the Czech Republic. But let's now, Will, have a little bit more of a insight to delve into all of the happenings at the World Championships um, in Ustfeld in Norway. I hate I have to mention this again, but you weren't there. I, nope. I was there. I was um, at work. You were at work. I was I was at work too. But yeah, at, no, technically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, doing the commentary on... The, the live orienteering commentary so if you wanted to you can go watch that again i think they've probably taken the paywall off now so you can um go and have a listen so the first race was the middle qualification so three heats and then it was top 15 automatically to qualify and then if and then if you weren't in the top 15 it was like the the best per nation um mm. that that hadn't already qualified so like the best from brazil and Colombia and Croatia and those kind of nations that didn't have any runners that automatically made it through um and we got five out of six qualified Matt Speak was a 
two places out. It was really close. I think he made a small mistake though on his run, um, which obviously he's really disappointed with. He had to, he was in the early start block as well. So mm. um, gutting, I suppose, to be the only one not to make it. But the fact, you know, good five out of six, that's the same as Norway, um, you know, qualifying for the middle final. Yeah, no, it's pretty, pretty impressive that we can can get those guys comfortably in there in that top 15 now and yeah massive shame for Speaky that that he missed out it was a, a home world championships for him he's lived in Norway for the I think the last kind of seven eight nine years and he was really aiming for this as his kind of almost his final world champs with it splitting into a a sprint walk next year it's you know unsure if he's going to be racing in 2021 with um, having a young family and starting to move um, move on in his career. But yeah, I mean, really disappointing that he didn't make it, but fantastic that the, that the rest of the Brits did. Um, I think Speaky, yeah, in the end, just 33 seconds out of it. So, I mean, really frustrating because if he had been later in the block, yeah, you can always say it probably would have tracked up and he, and he would have made yeah. it. But he wasn't the only big, only big name to miss out in his heat. Uh, Larry Sild from Estonia, pretty established mm-hmm. world champs runner. He also missed out. He was in 19th place. And um, I'm just looking through the results now. There are, there are a and couple Paul of others. And Paul Serum was the yeah. Norwegian not to make it. So one of the Norwegians didn't make it. Mm. Um, but shit, like there, was no, there were no big shocks with this one. Um, there was a little bit of a controversy as one of the athletes, I think it was a Belarusian, went to the start and stopped and waited at the start for Magna Daly to catch him up. <laughs> and then like, I, in fact, I think there were two two athletes that did this with different occasions, waited for their one minute runner to come up behind them and then basically ran round the course. This, yeah. the person who did this with Magna Daly, he ended up losing losing the train losing him and then made like mm. an eight minute mistake and didn't qualify anyway but um it was we were having a few discussions afterwards about whether the athletes should know their heat or whether they just get their start time they know they're starting at the same time as these people but they don't know whether the person start which person starting mm. after them is in their heat or not so they don't know that they can't basically they can't do that and then in the start lane they get told you're a you're b you're c so that the runner you know they don't know what the runner behind them is doing basically yeah. i think that's a good idea really um i mean people i know there's people who feel a lot stronger about following than i do sometimes i think if you get caught by someone you know it, it can be a legitimate tactic but if you're waiting at a start kite and an individual race for someone starting behind you that is that's cheating that, yeah that is, there's, there's no two ways about it you could do yeah, it and it wasn't like they it. get caught like if you if you know the person ahead of you and you catch them then you know that's great you've done a good job and you can you can run around together but the fact yeah, that yeah. they were actually waiting at the start triangle you can see on the gps tracking yeah. um, and i do know, like i do appreciate it makes it a bit more complicated in the start lane but you know if you have well-briefed volunteers and you make it the athlete's responsibility to pick up the right map and the control descriptions once they've been told which heat they're in, then, mm. you know, I can't see yeah. it really being a problem. No. I mean, I've, I've got, actually, I've got his, I've got his splits up in front of me now. I'm going to call him out. Anton Navichenko. Yeah, Anton um, Navichenko. Yeah. Uh, two minutes slower than the kind of average time to, to the first control. He was 38th place out yep. of 30... 40 people on his course um it's just it's just so obvious and then he then he suddenly got a 13th place 
third, third, second, seventh, first. Mm. I, it's not even subtle. You've got GPS tracking on. It's fair mm. enough on the long night leg at Tiamila. That's a different game. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That's, and that's kind that's of expected. Tactics. But it's, it's not expected, qualification yeah. for, you know, you need to make it fair and just someone's happened to get, you know, a minute, starting a minute ahead of, you know, yeah. Olaf Lindenes or Magda Daly or whatever, then... And you don't even need to wait at those first con- at the first at the start kite because the first few controls are very short. If you want to do it, like you can get towards control number three. It was in a relatively open white bit of forest. You're gonna see him, see the guy. He's a massive Norwegian. <laughs> He's gonna stand out. Uh, so yeah, that's that's. Anyway, cool. like not, neither idea. of the neither of the athletes who did that qualified. So um, yeah, I think had they qualified, I think a few more eyebrows would have been raised basically yeah yeah yeah, um yeah and then the next day was the long distance which um you know we've heard already from Hector they were quite surprised that it was a um arena start mm-hmm. and like my co-commentator Jonas Mertz he was also quite surprised it was an arena start he'd like planned some courses for his um like athletes in his club uh, and he hadn't planned any with an arena start, um, oh. which I feel like you have you can never discount it as an option, um, no. really. But uh, he evidently had. But mm. they were, um, I was going to say two good races. I mean one good race and one Tover <laughs> Alexanderson absolutely dominating everything. Well, in the men's, it was um, quite exciting because the young... Uh, Norwegian in fact he's uh, still a junior Kasper Fosser he's double uh, like more than double um, junior world champion in the long distance and he came in and he absolutely smashed it around this course like he did Mm. really really good route choices but also like on the first the first long leg he was just able to get out to the track out to the road really quickly just absolutely bashed it out to the track and just just took so much distance out of everybody else so we were getting quite excited in um the arena that there was there going to be a new world champion Olaf Lundenes he's won the long distance five times already before that and three times in a row yeah, and we were getting like really excited. Are we going to see a new world champion for this junior, and and a Norwegian? And in the end, like he his pace kind of dropped after the arena passage, and actually later on, and Londoners overtook him, you know, as if they were, if if they started all at the same time. Mm. Uh, so he ended up, but he ended up with the silver medal, which is actually really fantastic and oh. Daniel Hoodman got the bronze with yes. yeah so Londoners retaining his title again um it was actually some good some good drama the yeah. women's yeah as I said like Tova won by six minutes and 16 seconds uh which is it's just ridiculous it's 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 absolutely amazing and um there was loads of um GPS tracking analysis going around after the race that showed that Alexanderson was basically as fast as the fastest men on that last loop. Yeah, I saw it, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's made just, me quite scared. Yeah. It's just amazing. Like, she just goes through that terrain, like, yeah. incredibly. And then Lena Strand, also of Sweden, took the silver. Uh, she'd had a really good spring, like, was in basically the shape of her life. But she's actually never, in a world championship, she's never had an individual top 10 before. Really, and you know she's a name that you see around, but in the but individually in the world champ, she's never had a top ten, 
and then you know me. here she comes she, she and then she comes in and she gets that silver medal and it's just absolutely fantastic and then again too with um simona abersold from switzerland getting the bronze mm. she's a first year senior it's her that was her first walk final and she got a bronze medal um i mean just just amazing yeah. um yeah and both her and casper there's it's so impressive like I've yeah casper and- splits up and he took nearly a minute out of olav on that long leg and then mm. another 45 seconds out of him on the next long leg yeah, the, yeah. The, it's a 15 minute and a 20 minute leg respectively <laughs> and he's just he's just smashing them and these yeah. are established multiple world champ winning guys multiple world champions and he's at his first senior world championships and is is in the lead and he's just dictating to other people yeah. it's, i mean who says you can't win stuff with kids it's, exactly it's and, and both these both these youngsters started comparatively to, to the to the rest of the the top six quite early so mm. they had a quite a different experience in the terrain and i don't know whether that would, would have been for them an advantage or a disadvantage but uh, certainly something to think about um but you know there were a lot of people who were quite disappointed with their results like Camilla Olausen, 13th. She was a name I've been banging on about from Norway. She was, in fact, the best Norwegian woman in that race. Uh, Carolyn Olsen, she was disappointed with her run, ended up sixth, and she's very competitive, but had been injured quite a lot in the spring, like only got off, was still training on a bike two weeks before walk, only Mm. managed to step off the bike um, two weeks before the World Championships. yeah, yeah. Basically. Natalia Gimperla as well in, in 11th. Mm-hmm. I think you would have expected her to be probably be in the medals or around them anyway. And yeah, yeah, I think very disappointed from the Norwegians as well. Like you say, with Camilla Rallausen fifth last year to um, to come 13th at home mm-hmm. world champs, she, she will be very uh, disappointed with that, I think. And um, Andrina Benjaminson as well, who's kind of been a bit of a poster girl of these world championships um, down in 27th. So I guess not what they expected, but um, that's World Championships for you. Anything can happen, and it just shows you what can happen under the pressure as well. Absolutely. And then I think, as we said, uh, Hector Haynes finished in 20th, Graham Griswold in 21st. Am I getting this right? He basically missed out of control and then had to go back and get it. Yes, that's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah. Um, He had to double back and add, add the extra control on, essentially. So Yeah, went, dropped a few went places. Went through it and then had to come back. Yeah, dropped a few places, I think, from that. But, like, you know, the the main aim of orienteering is get all the controls. Don't yeah. get disqualified. Like, that is the first step. So, good. And then in the women, so Joe Shepard was 21st and Charlotte Watson was 36th. Mm-hmm. Um, I, to be honest, I don't know how either of them thought of their runs, to be honest, um, because I was too busy commentating. But Joe and actually Gigi as well, both had some nice uh, long spells in the massive green leader's chair that was in the arena. There was, honestly, there was a picture of it being craned into the arena. And you couldn't get any, genuinely, you couldn't get any sort of sense of perspective. So it just looked like a normal green chair that for some reason was on the end of a crane that was being craned into the arena. But it was huge. It was huge. It was like three times the size of a normal chair. I did yeah. see a picture of Joe sitting in it actually, and it was. I did a double take of why? Why, why is it so big? Yeah, why, it wasn't why, very comfortable. Need, I can imagine. It I can. Some... D- they brought like cushions and little um, 
blankets and stuff to be sitting on it, which I still don't think would have made much of a difference, to be honest. (laughs) At least it wasn't raining like it was on the relay day, though. That would have made it very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. They'd luckily they didn't really need to use it for the for the relay day. No. Um so then we had a rest day where I went and pre-ran the middle distance and then we had the middle distance. This time two really dramatic races and they were so much fun to commentate on. I was like really pleased with the job that we did commentating. Um let's start with the women's because that was the first race. Um I mean, you see the name at the top of the list and you think, oh yeah, Tova Alexanderson won again. Yes, she did win again, but only five seconds ahead of Simona Abersold. So this Swiss youngster challenging the best of the best is really exciting. And actually, you could tell Tova on the last loop, she was running with Anne-Margret Haskell-Nordberg, who ended up fifth. Tova just like was so tired. She was not able to have that real like keep that speed Mm. up at the end and the Norwegian was able to run away from her on that last little loop that you know she was in an an advantage of having a late start because she'd qualified fastest in her heat so you know she could know going through the arena how she was doing compared to everybody else and could really like push the the running all the way as much as she could to the line Mm. I mean it helps Abersold made a mistake into the like control out of the arena she took a really odd route choice that we still don't know it was up a path around the left wasn't it it was really wide she she went up the up the ride and then off rather than just going straight i think that's what cost her because Mm. watching the gps back if you did it on the mass start she was quite clearly in the lead and then Mm. that's where tove came through her and it was those two out like clearly in front of everybody else but i mean it's really impressive from simone that she's having an earlier start and that she is you know, already in a position in her first World Championships to be challenging for the win. To- Tove, you know, she's obviously so good. I'm, d- I'm going to mention it briefly. I'm not going to go on about it because it's going to sound really harsh. But I cannot stand the way she dives over the line like she's been shot by a sniper. I just... It, it, the, the Scandi flop is a real problem <laughs> and we need to stop it because... They can't. I can't take them seriously. It, you you want to be cheering for them to win the gold, and then you see them kind of roll around like they've just had the leg amputated, and <laughs> it's just, it just robs it because the whole point of orienteering is that you're you're running at a level where you have to be able to navigate and run at the same time. And maybe this is why Tove will win world championships, and I never will, is that she can get herself to this whole different level of pain. And like you say, she was running that last loop completely dead on her knees, and maybe the rest of us kind of can't do that and that's why we're not world champions but you know just celebrate when you cross the line don't don't dive and then lie prone you know you want to be cheering you want to be like getting the crowd up and going you know run down get some high fives and I know it just feels like an anti-climax almost when they cross the line like that but that's rant over I I didn't I don't know I mean I think Alexanderson is able to give so much like she doesn't have anything left when she crosses the line and that is what makes her a world champion yeah she's also she is but I will say she is also very dramatic and she's known for being quite dramatic when she crosses the line but then but also she wouldn't have time to celebrate because it was quite tight and she knew it was quite tight with the with it at the end and she didn't know you know 100% that she was gonna win when you start going through on that run-in, basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah, five seconds is incredibly close. And, I mean, it, 
you can easily lose five seconds on a run in that was that long. So mm. I completely get it. She was giving it everything and, and, and going for it. It's just, you, you see all of these international races, the Swedes, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to call it a Swede specifically, but they always, I've seen a Swedish man go through the run in, you know, walk normally, dive underneath a, a patch of tape and then roll around on the ground. So it's perfectly fine. And then he started rolling around on the ground and it, it's almost a caricature of themselves, but <laughs> there we go. It's quite funny. Yeah, it provides the rest of us with some entertainment when we've had bad races anyway, let's say that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> someone yeah. who was able to pick herself up after a bad race, actually two people, Natalia Gempler and Ven Haye, both ended up sharing the bronze medal. Mm. They were both 1 minute 45 seconds slower than Alexanderson, and they... They did actually make a mistake of the same controllers that Simona Abersold made the mistake. But, you know, uh, those two very um, strong and orienteers for a lot of years. Then how you actually coming back from maternity leave for shoes. She missed the walk last year um, has been so, yeah, been really good to see her yeah. back. Again, like Camilla Olausen down in 16th. Oh, it's just, and Carolyn Olsen down in 14th. It just shows my predictions are all rubbish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Issy Abasse, last year's um, bronze medalist, down in 17th as well. Yeah. People are talking uh, big hits uh, we out weren't, there. We weren't, we weren't surprised, I think, with Issy Abasse. I think she it was very much her day last year when she won the yeah. bronze. And, you know, it's a different kind of terrain that favours the Scandinavians whereas last year it was a bit more levelling but yeah Um, and then the Brits and they were all in I think with under a minute of each other in terms of time so Megan Carter-Davies in 21st Joe Shepard in 24th and Kat Taylor in 27th Um, and basically uh, again, I'm not really sure what all of them were saying about their races. We saw Megan um, on the cameras quite a bit. Unfortunately, right at the end where she made a mistake, which was a bit unfortunate for her, um, mm-hmm. but ended up, of course, being the best of the Brits. And their efforts have moved the British women back up into the top division, which means they'll get three athletes automatically for those races that don't require a qualification, um, which is fantastic achievement mm. for them yeah that makes a massive difference to, to staying in that division as well getting into it is quite hard when you don't have that extra representative in the in the finals to try and break back in once you're out of the it so yeah it's looking good for Czech Republic in two years time the fact that they can um yeah bring an extra body into the long distance race and mm. I, I know I saw that Kat was a bit she made a mistake on the fifth control I think and I said that that kind of blew her race apart a bit um relatively early on but you know, good for them all that they're they're keeping keeping on pushing all the way through to the end, and yeah, within a minute of each other, it's pretty consistent from them all. Mm. Yeah, it was it was a tough it was a tough race as well actually with the winning time thirty eight twenty, and that's Tova. Like, yeah, it's long. That is, it was long. I think the women's course was only six hundred meters shorter than the men's course, and I think it was yeah, it was the men's they got it right, but the women's was just too long, and yeah, it was really like. There was quite a lot of climb. There was 225 metres of climb, a lot of controls and a lot of, like, really tough terrain, up up some crags and stuff as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, I I wasn't surprised that the time was slower than expected, to be honest. Uh, And then the men's was also a reasonably tight race between Olaf Lindenez and Gustav Bellman. 
and uh, it was really tight between the two of them uh, through the arena passage and then Gustav like made a couple of really small mistakes and wasn't going as fast as Lundinez in the last loop so um, and like Berryman was really pleased with his race like he it is his best individual result he has had a lot of good form but been unable to put together a championship performance mm. In the, in the last few years and like got really frustrated with himself so it was really nice to see that he could put together what he felt was a good run and then also like applaud Olaf you know the better man won on the day you know I feel like I had a good run to be beaten by somebody better than me there's no shame in that so that was really good um but actually something he was saying in the press conference afterwards he was complaining that he felt really just like physically awful in the long distance and in the middle but and he so he initially thought with the long distance he was just too slow and then actually on on reflection he realized um he made mistakes like he didn't do good route enough route choices and executing it and all that kind of stuff um and and we were talking a lot about if you're gonna have the speed to win a medal at the world championships you do need to feel awful you need to be pushing your body <laughs> such that you actually feel like disgusting like it's not an enjoyable experience yeah. Yeah. um it needs to like it needs to be hurting otherwise you aren't going fast enough yeah no precisely and i guess that's what just going back to tell you what we're saying about her she can get that out of herself and olav you hear him in the forest he's just grunting away <laughs> and it's incredibly distracting when you're out there running with him but he can get oh, that out of himself and yeah. I guess that's what makes the world champions world champions is that they can get themselves to that next level where they are completely out of it when they finish and they can't mm. walk around for the next couple of minutes because they have just dug so deep and they've yeah. got themselves to that pain level, which you know, some people just can't. So, yeah, it's, it's really impressive that you know, Gustav kind of bounced back from that disappointing long race and, uh, yeah, four people within 30 seconds in the men's race. Incredibly yeah. close and no margin for error at all. No, absolutely not. And then we had Ralph Street in 19th and Peter Hodkinson in 31st. I think neither of them were happy with their results or their performances. I know particularly, um, I could talk a bit about Ralph, who um, living in Oslo, like had set himself much higher expectations than that. Um, than you know, you think a top 20 result on, you know, for a lot of people would be a, a really great result. And, and it is a great result, but, um, you know, he'd set himself or thought, you know, knew he was capable of doing something better than that. Um, so I think he was quite disappointed with with his performance. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a shame, isn't it, that um, he couldn't get everything out that he felt he could. And looking at the names above him on the results sheet, yeah, you'd think he could definitely get in around the top 10. There was only a minute 30 away, which... You know, isn't that much if you're making a couple of small small errors so yeah disappointing mm. that he couldn't um really crack it at, at what is a home world champs but now he'll have more and at least he knows that that's 19th is now a disappointing result and um you know that's quite a nice place to be in if you can move forward from there and and when you get a good result then you'll really show what you can do yeah absolutely although you know it's it's hard now then you're the next opportunity to do that in the forest is not for two years so yeah um, that's, that's quite tough. And then uh, the relay, the relay, 
we'll start with the women's and it was i have to say it was absolutely chucking it down and it absolutely chucked it down the whole morning the arena was a swamp it was so like just puddles everywhere you could see there's like this great footage of when they then they all started and like just splashing through this puddle it was disgusting um luckily i was in a nice dry commentary box but still like the the dashes from the media tent the commentary box to going to see if I could find anyone else to chat to, to, it just was, it was honestly disgusting. But, you know, you, you, you train to, to race in this, you know, in whatever weather conditions you're faced with and you go yeah. out and you, um, you know, you just do it. So, um, the team... It can break a lot of people as well. Like when you turn up and it's bad weather, some people have already lost. Like some yeah. people just hate racing in bad weather and you can turn up on the start and go, right. Yeah, we've got bad weather in Britain all the time. Let's just do this. Let's get on with yeah, it. Like, exactly. But it it did look apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah, I think luckily when they were actually racing, it wasn't as heavy as it had been earlier in the day. So it had been even heavier. But it was it was like the conditions underfoot and everything. It was. Um, I mean, you just had to accept you were going to be absolutely soaked and there was nothing you could do about it basically so the women's team it was charlotte watson then megan carter davies and then cat taylor on the last leg charlotte came back in 15th then megan pulled them up to ninth and then cat uh also finished in ninth she did pull up a place but then made a mistake i think on the control like the penultimate control with the kind of with root choice and then executing that Mm. too but um you know a top 10 finish i think is pretty good and like megan i think looking at the timings she was only about two minutes slower on that leg than the fastest than the fastest so um pretty impressive that's pretty good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I thought they probably could have got a bit higher really i would have expected them to beat denmark um mm. just because i think that I, well, I, I wouldn't have actually expected denmark to be Eighth, to be honest, just because of how their team's been gutted over the, over the last couple of years with losing so many big names and Myra Arms now focusing on um, the track for Tokyo. So yeah, um, I thought we did. We had that kind of top yeah, eight but in the bag. I f- but I feel like the Danes are they are starting to come back they are rebuilt They've actually had quite a good year this year, actually, in results wise. And um, mm. I don't think they're a team to right off in the way oh, that no, maybe never. that you know that you think they, they'd only get a result with Maya Alm previously like they, they they are a very young team but I think they're starting to kind of make an impact yeah. Um, now yeah 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 definitely because they've got some great runners in there who've got a lot of experience you know uh, Miri Trani-Odom and, and Cecilia Freiberg they're very experienced runners but uh, yeah yeah and know, Cecilia I, I, I Cecilia Freiberg we was like ninth or tenth in the middle distance you yeah. know so that's that's she's, pretty she's good she's quality yeah 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 and i think i think cats like they were running cat was running with the dane at the last control and then just didn't seem to get very much speed off the last control itself um which was on a hill okay. and the dane just like had some sort of burst of acceleration and then that was pretty much it to be honest i think cat like had a little hesitation or stop or didn't punch the controls fluidly i'm not really sure um Mm. what it was but from looking at the footage she kind of like 
hesitated a bit at the control and the Dane just like accel like really flew through that control and accelerated and did it really well basically. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean we got a, a few decent countries behind us as well. France in fifteenth, they'll be probably be quite disappointed with that. Ukraine seventeenth. Mm. I probably would have expected more from them. They're quite an experienced bunch in Latvia in thirteenth as well, who uh who were up there well in the top ten last year. And then the men's relay. It was a tough one, the men's relay. Yeah. Um, for for the Brits, anyway. For the Brits, yeah. This is... Uh, we'll, we'll get the, the British bit out of the way. This is always a race that I think... And it's the same with the women's team, that we, we think we can get a podium in. We always think mm. we can achieve a good result in the relay, which I guess is why I was saying that ninth place, I, I, I generally thought for both relay teams that we could be on the podium. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that for the guys the last couple of years we've been in in fourth place and so agonisingly close to a medal that that's what the guys wanted and that's what they were aiming for and yeah um, often that you, you can't win it on the first leg but you can lose it is the old cliche mm. and it's uh, we, we said it when we were doing the Eucla wrap up we said it when we were doing the Tiamila wrap up that sometimes you, you just lose it on the first leg and you get it either the tactics wrong or the wrong headspace or you know you just make a mistake and yeah Pete Hodgkinson on the first leg just just had a tough one out there and um and yeah uh made quite a big error so there was a weird thing at the start basically where so the arena speaker was doing the start and he kind of was saying like five four and then just suddenly said go and then everybody kind of like stumbled on the start you mm. know some people is this the actual it was you know if it's athletics that would have been a false start start you know everyone take everyone back start again but yeah. you know it's not athletics so they just kind of went so even though pete was on the front line you know with the sixth place last year i think he just got swamped by runners from behind him and immediately started going backwards um yeah. in the pack and then by the time he got to the start control he was in the second half and you could see him really struggling to try and try and get like a better position in that first pack and then but but was but was really struggling to be able to do that and then um made the mistake i think it was looking at the tracking at least about three or four minutes um after going up the big hill in the terrain reached a control that was on the on the gaffle and it wasn't his it wasn't his gaffle so some people punched it he got to that control it wasn't his and then had to go oh right and then just Mm. i haven't i mean i haven't been able to chat to him so i'm not sure what was exactly that happening but this is what it appears like from watching the pictures and from watching the tracking as well um and then you know then was basically running solo for the rest of the the, for the rest of that um leg basically yeah and that seems to be a mistake that a lot of people were making over the week i think Mm. looking at the middle distance qualification tracking um, they'd set the courses so that there was a control halfway along two other people's or two thirds of the way along to a, a different heat's control and a lot of people were stopping, doubling back and then going forward again um, and it just seemed to be a way that they were setting courses at this World Champs and they mm. do it a lot at Euclid as well or, and Tiamila where they where they put a control halfway along a gaffle and it's quite a long split so you're in a pack and suddenly a load of people punch a control that you go through and you're like hang on well, that, what, <laughs> I thought we were all going to the same place, boys, but clearly mm. we're not. And it's and it's how you deal with that. And as you say, 
Pete was one of the only the clips I've seen on social media. Pete was on one of the only people to kind of double check himself at the start and go, "Hang on, that didn't make sense. What happened there?" Everyone mm. else was away and going. Yeah. And yeah. if they're not going to call it back, then he's got to suddenly reset and, and go with yeah. it. And yeah, like, yeah. So it just adds to the stress, adds to the the lack of plan that you've had for that occurring. Yeah. And then yeah, puts you on the back foot, and sometimes it just yeah, sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah, it was really odd odd what odd start and yeah I didn't think it was very fair you know I think it was much better to have some sort of hooter or whistle or something to to get them going just a Um, gun like a gun's like every athletics race uses one cross country yeah just have a blank in it it's not hard and just use that but exactly and then Graham Griffith was able to pick them up from 29th to 18th and then Ralph again another another one both of them as well have been focusing on this relay but by the time your first leg runner comes back and is over seven minutes off the pace there's basically nothing you can do no yeah it's it's hard to come back from and both of those guys uh, Gigi was running on pace with um Olav on second leg for a while so you know he's clearly clearly putting in the effort and um trying to pull up the team back up but yeah, you know it's uh, it's hard to come back from, but they'll uh, they'll rally around each other, and I know that Pete kind of put out a thank you on social media to everyone for picking him up from from what was obviously a pretty devastating performance from him, and um, that's obviously not the caliber of athlete that he is. He's clearly better than that, and that's um, not a normal performance for him. So no, yeah, no. that's that's. He he's going to recover from it, and he'll you know, he'll have better races in the future. But you just have bad ones occasionally, and there's not a lot you can do or say to kind of yeah make it better. And it's gutting, solid. and it's gutting when you know if it's one that comes in a relay when you've got your teammates you know relying on you to do that good job. And actually, we saw it from a lot of the other teams that they put somebody totally fresh on their first leg, like the Norwegians had mm. Gatthalen Stever. The Swedes had Jan Runesson, who that was their only race. And um, I'll put it a bit more politely, but when I um, shouted to Jan Runesson, interviewed him after the race, he said he had, you know, he had one job that week, and that was not to mess up. Um, and yeah, like fair enough, they were able to have all their focus on on doing exactly that. And it was, and then it was really weird. A lot of the teams had their best runner on second leg. It was a very odd relay. And yeah. for the for the women's that that led to a, a sh- kind of showdown between um, Julia Jakob of Switzerland and Carolyn Olsen of Sweden, and the two of them they in fact their whole last leg they had the same forking so they sorry the same gaffle so they were um, yeah that's the, it weird. was it was entirely the same it, it's drawn randomly so um, you oh, know they can't okay. I, well I'm pretty certain it is because otherwise so. you would really be able to affect the result. Um, and uh, they basically stuck together, and then Carolyn Olsen outdid um, Jakob on the sprint, basically. So Sweden won that one. Um, mm. But it's good to see like an actual pretty tight, close race. And then the men's was carnage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there were like mm, 13 people finished pretty much in the same pack after the first one and then Londoners went out on second leg for Norway and with um a Finn got ahead they they did really well and then Sweden were down in third so then you have Magna Daly really really strong really experienced uh, third leg runner from Norway leading them out home soil defending champions 
on the last leg and then he makes a mistake. He goes mm. to... We, well, I, there's a women's control out there. I think he goes to the wrong control. He initially catches them up. Then he still in the lead, but only just going through the arena passage, goes up this big hill. Uh, again, like here, the Norwegians and the Finns both make a mistake. Gustav Benjamin from Sweden is able to get in the lead. And then this time, this point, Switzerland, France and the Czech Republic are all also catching up. And then Magna, Magna Daly of Norway makes another mistake coming down the hill at the end. And then, it, oh, it just goes a bit crazy. So anyway, the end, Sweden, uh, then Finland and then France managed to pull through with Luca Basse on the last leg. The poor Norwegians, you know, they were so excited about this um, prime time relay on on you know national television and they didn't manage to get a medal the norwegians didn't oh. manage to get a medal in either relay it was absolutely magna daily was he looked not distraught. a happy man oh, oh my goodness me it was um it was yeah it was quite terrifying to be honest like is it um, is it harsh if i say it's a little bit funny <laughs> in a way <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean it's it's too. kind of, um, uh, you, you know, it makes a good story. Yeah. I can say this from, like, a journalist perspective. Like, they, the shock of them not doing it on home soil is a bit, it's a mm. bit ludicrous because they have been so good. And it's just very bizarre for the Swedes to, you know, like, they're, they're the two big, big rivals, Sweden and Norway, and historically and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know on that podium with the prize giving ceremony two swedish national anthems were played in norway um was just a bit bizarre to be honest you couldn't pick a worse country to win instead of the norwegians (laughs) as well could you (laughs) no but you know because tove did the triple obviously she won the she won the middle she won the long and she's won the relay there Mm. and that's what the olaf was going for as well and yeah would have been like having seen Tove done it, maybe the, the crowd in the arena would have been right. Okay, this is Olav's. Then it's going to be two triples: one for Tove and one for Olav. They're just going to dominate yeah, yeah. the dominant runners of the last expecting. kind of generation, as it were. Like apart from Thierry and um, taking Thierry, Georgiou, and um, Simone Nigli as kind of the previous generation, um, and that's what you would have expected and predicted in Norway over the last few years. Like you say, have just dominated the relay. Mm. No one's come close to them really. Mm-hmm. Mm. and then they blow it and yeah. Magna Dali is an experienced orienteer he has won multiple world champs relays he has won multiple Euclid's and Tiamilas I don't know yeah. what happened I just don't know I mean, what happened I mean, I mean that's it's orienteering though isn't it yeah. you know like that's this is just, why it's good this is why it's good this sport is, yeah exactly like it just it just happens like that and actually I want to say quickly about Tova she did the second leg on, so the women's relay, the Swedes and Lena Strand managed to get a gap on the on the Swiss, and then the mm. second leg, the Swiss with Abersold, I think Abersold managed to catch up Alexanderson. I think Tova ah. was playing it super safe from the really? look, from the looks of her, but also I think she was knackered. I think she was really. I'm not surprised. Like, like I think she was absolutely spent, and I wasn't surprised that. Abbasov was actually able to catch her up because mm. I, I, she just, I, I don't know. I just didn't get the feeling that she was going as fast as she would 
as she has done in previously because we've seen her in relays just run away from the rest of the field and she just wasn't doing it and i i i think i'm assuming it's partly playing it safe she wasn't on last leg she doesn't need to win it on that leg she just needs to get round in a good position do the job you do the job and uh, but she was also just really tired yeah because abasol didn't run the long did she i don't think no, she did because she she yeah she did oh, yeah because she got bronze in the long and the silver in the middle, yeah oh, bronze in long oh god right yeah I know I know how is she, how is she I know I don't know ridiculous it's quite exciting though that there's like a new great name on yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. on the block oh. for the because it feels like next year? yeah I'm so excited for her and for Casper Fosser as well it's going to be a fantastic mm. yeah. Okay, yeah, two, two I think. Watch, but... I think is that is that yeah. everything? Have we have we done everything? Have I, we I think that everything? yeah. Walk twenty nineteen wrapped. I think. Yeah, fantastic. The next one will be um, uh, twenty twenty in yeah. Denmark, of course, where it's sprint. And then actually, they announced twenty twenty three and twenty twenty five walks, which will be in Switzerland and then Finland. So you know, just mark those in your diary. Uh, okay. Get get looking for some plane tickets or something i don't know uh, <laughs> um, saving for switzerland now yeah so i think that's um that's all from our walk special i think next week next time we're gonna have a well, i think we'll probably do a preview of the british sprints and middles mm-hmm. um which are going to be taking place in september hot hot off the uh, hot off the press chris jones will be back in the sprint arena at british middles Oh, hey. So, yeah, there we go. There's a taster for British Sprint. So we'll yeah review all that next time. Okay, see you then. <laughs>